If your Bibles are open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're getting all the Carla specials in while we can, and um, certainly have appreciated uh, what she has added to our music program over the last eight years or so. When I was in Bible college, uh, Brother Hiles was my pastor for some five years, and I remember him often making this statement that there were seven themes that he preached on periodically throughout the course of every year. And he wasn't just referring to Christmas and Easter or other holidays. Uh, he never gave us a list of what those themes were. Um, I guess he was expecting that we would pay attention and maybe pick out on things that were repeated from time to time. But as a pastor, uh, I find out that there is a great wisdom in that, that there are sometimes that we need to revisit portions of Scripture, revisit a particular truth, because of the fact that they are such powerful truths. The other night we were here, I think it was Friday night, we were in here painting and I was back in that corner. I did all the dark gray stuff, so if there's anything wrong there, that's all my fault. Uh, but I was, I was sitting on the floor and, and I was painting back there and uh, Tim and his family came in. They had uh, the people who were buying their home needed to be in for an inspection or something like that. So they had come out and so he was coming here. I don't know if he was getting rid of some reptile stuff or whatever. Uh, and uh, so I said hi to the girlies for just a little bit, and, and Tim was talking to me, and, and he was busy, you know, like most of his generation on the phone, you know, uh, texting back and forth with things. And uh, then he, he came, he said, Dad, do you remember? And he named the young man, uh, and uh, I recognized the name. And it's a young man who is actually a trainer over at uh, Edge Fitness. Uh, Tim and I have known this young man probably four or five years uh, and I tell a lot of gym stories and so forth. We have a lot of people from our church that have been members over at the same gym. And uh, uh, Tim and I especially have talked a, a very, very much about the importance of maintaining a good testimony because everybody there, especially amongst the trainers and the staff, knows that I'm a pastor, knew that Tim is an assistant pastor, and they got to know many of our church members by sight. They knew who you were and how important it was while we're there to, to live right and, and have the right kind of testimony in front of them. Well, long story short, this young man saw Tim's post that Tim was uh, moving away. Did he see the one about the snake handling in church? No, okay, this, this guy saw the one that, the, uh, that Tim was moving away. And uh, on, that, on this last Friday night, uh, Tim had been already texting back and forth with this young man for two hours. And the young, the young man has a rock band of his own um, and so forth. He's, he's, he's pretty well tatted up. He's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. I've worked with him on a, on a couple of different occasions and so forth. But he reached out to Tim and said, hey, I saw that you were moving and so forth. And the conversation just went, in, went into something like this. I've realized something's missing in my life. And I need to add faith to my life. I don't know his background. Uh, I, I haven't followed up much with Tim on that conversation, but for two hours they were going back and forth um, as, as this young man is reaching out and he is searching. And uh, he doesn't know it. He needs the Lord. And I know that's what, what Tim was sharing with him along the way, uh, pointing him to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But you and I, friend, we need to understand that we do not live on an island all by ourselves, that we are, uh, we are making an influence everywhere that we go. Question, question. If you knew that same young man, and that young man has this emptiness inside and needs a hope and needs faith but not quite sure where to find it, would he have reached out to you? Would you have had a testimony before that young man that says, I not only know the Lord, he's real in my life, I love the Lord, I try to honor the Lord. Would you have had a testimony like that that when he came to such a place, he would have reached out and said, I've got some questions about faith, can you help me? The subject of the message tonight is the importance of our testimony the importance of our testimony. Everybody in this room has one. Not everybody in this room has a college diploma. Not everybody in this room has musical talent. Not everyone in this room is artistic, but everyone in this room has a testimony. Keeping your place in 1 Thessalonians, can I ask you to turn back with me to the book of Proverbs and uh, chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. We have referenced this verse an awful lot. I do it in chapel in our school, uh, usually at least once a year. But in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 11, the Bible says this, even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. Even a child. That's why I say with all confidence, everybody in this room, self-included, we have a testimony. A testimony is, is our reputation. And, and as believers, we're talking about our testimony for the Lord. We either have a good testimony for the Lord or we have an evil one. We'll reference this later on and look at the scripture. But there came a day in David's life that he had sinned against God in such a huge way that the Lord said to David, by doing this thing, you have given an opportunity to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. David was a believer, but David had soiled his testimony so that God's enemies now had a reason to say, oh yeah, you're supposed to be the man after God's own heart and, and, and you worship the one true God and yet you did that. Uh, and you, you committed adultery and then you committed murder and all of that. And his testimony, he had a testimony about the Lord, but it wasn't a good one at that moment in his life. We all have one. We all have one. You have one just by virtue of coming to Heritage Baptist Church. Um, and that testimony is of vital importance. Proverbs 22, just a page over. A good name, that's your reputation. That's your testimony. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. A good name. A name that somebody, when they think of it, they think positive things, especially when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. A good name is more important than great riches. Um, a, a good name is more important than popularity or fame. That's what the Bible says, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, 
The Bible says in verse number one, a good name, there's that phrase again, referring to your reputation, your testimony, is better than precious ointment. Um, Ointment was very expensive in those days. Um, It was often purchased in advance of one's one's own burial, uh, that type of thing. And uh, so when you smelled that fragrance, um, it, it was impossible to hide for one thing. Um, and it was, it was known to everyone that that fragrance cost you a lot of money. I, I walked into the gas station um, uh, yesterday morning to get my 99-cent coffee. No, this morning to get my 99-cent coffee, which I found out is now $1.38. Um, but, but I walked in, and uh, the minute I walked in, the smell was overwhelming. It wasn't necessarily a bad one, and it wasn't coffee. Um, some woman was in there and, uh, I'm guessing maybe she hadn't bathed in a month and a half or something. So she just took the perfume bottle and just dumped it over her head. I mean, like, wow. Uh, there's nowhere that lady was going to go and hide the fact that, uh, she had all that perfume on her. Uh, she could put a hat on. It wasn't going to hide the smell. And it was, like I said, it just wasn't necessarily a bad smell, Uh, is better than B.O., I'm sure of that. It was just overpowering. You need to understand that your testimony ekes out of every pore of your being. Nobody wants a bad testimony, but you can't expect to live a subpar Christian life and have a good testimony. Your subpar testimony, it's it's what everybody's going to think when they think about you. By the way, for every person in this room, if your name is called, everybody thinks certain things about you. Automatically, they think honest. They think kind. They think prayerful. They think friendly. They think happy. They think prickly. They think cantankerous. They think critical. It's funny how everybody starts looking down at the floor when I hit the last part of the the list. There are certain words that describe every one of us. And why don't I be referred to like that? Well, change, change your testimony. Change your testimony. Everybody's got one. Everybody's got one. According to the scriptures, uh, our testimony is much wider ranging than we even uh, care to think about it. Every one of us has a testimony before the Savior. Turn to Job chapter 1. You know these verses. Job chapter 1. The Bible says in verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Job is an illustration here that God saw him. God saw the way that he lived and the way he conducted himself, the way he raised his family. And Job had a stellar testimony before the Savior. God said there is none like him in the earth. In Job's day, in God's opinion, Job was the finest believer out of all mankind. He had a testimony before the Lord, and every one of us has a testimony with the Savior. 
Oftentimes, as Jesus was walking with his disciples, he would make a simple statement like, one of you is a devil. He, he, as, as he came closer and closer to the cross, he would say, one of you is going to betray me. And he, he, he knew who it was. He knew it was Judas Iscariot. And even on the night uh, b- b- before the, the crucifixion, um, when Jesus handed him the sop, the piece of bread that was used to, to sop up the gravy uh, from the food, um, he handed that to Judas and Judas left to betray him. Nobody else was aware of what was going on, but Jesus knew. You and I have a testimony with the Lord. We can fool a lot of people. Sometimes we can even fool ourselves. First uh, John writes about us deceiving our own selves, but we're never going to fool the Lord. God knows who's saved in this room and who's not. God knows if you prayed today or if you didn't. God knows if you witnessed for the Savior this week or not. God knows if you read your Bible or not. God knows what you watch, what you listen to. God knows the conversations that you carry on. God knows what you're texting. God knows everything about it. You might try to hide it from mom and dad, and you might succeed. A lot of our kids today are far more tech savvy than their parents are, and their parents think they have controls uh, uh, and and so forth. Well, 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 my child can't access that, yet your child knows the lyrics to all the latest rock songs and and, uh, uh, all the things out of the latest R-rated movies. Uh, Where are they getting that? They're not getting that from their Sunday school teacher. Um, our kids are savvy about those things, and sometimes kids pride themselves because we got around mom and dad's safeguards that they put in, but you didn't fool God at all. God knows exactly who and what we are. I have a testimony before the Lord. You have a testimony before the Lord. So the question is, what does God think of when he thinks of us? We have a testimony before Satan. Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there's none like him in all the earth. As God bragged on his servant Job, Satan had an immediate answer. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. You understand, Satan knew that there was a hedge about Job. I believe that he knew that because he tried to get Job. He tried to get through and found out that God had, a, had that wall of protection about him. And Job said, just take that down and, 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 and let me take away that wealth and, and all of that. I mean, that, of course he's going to love you. You made him rich and you gave him a big family. Take that all away and I guarantee you he will curse you to your face. I also wholeheartedly believe Satan thought that and said that because that's how most people are. Our spirituality, sadly, is often tied to our health or our wealth or other frivolous things like that. Um, Satan underestimated Job, but, but understand this, Satan or Job had a testimony before Satan. Satan knew exactly what kind of man Job was. In Acts chapter 5, as the, the church in Jerusalem has mushroomed, 
Uh, from the day of Pentecost on, thousands of people have been saved and baptized. These are Jewish people that are receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Uh, they're following Christ. The Lord is adding to that church daily such as should be saved. Um, uh, in, in the temple on the, uh, the day that the lame man was healed, 5,000 Jewish men got saved. This is a miraculous church. God is moving in a powerful, powerful way. The Sanhedrin tried to persecute the apostles. They threatened them in chapter 3 uh, and, and chapter 4. They were going to beat on them in chapter 5, and that wasn't going to deter anybody. They, they were just going to keep on witnessing for Christ. So persecution didn't do it, so Satan tried another tactic, and that's pollution. He got a couple, a husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, and uh, uh, the, the thing going on in the church was taking care of the poor people, the, the hungry people. And some people like Barnabas who had land sold it and gave the money to the apostles and said, just use it to feed and clothe and house people, whatever they happen to need. And Ananias and Sapphira wanted in not so much on the helping of people, but of the glory that the others were getting for doing so. They sold a portion of land. They kept back part of the, the price for themselves, which was not a sin. It was there to, theirs to do with what they wanted. Uh, there was no commandment saying you had to do any of that. But their problem was they lied to the church and said, this is what we sold the land for when it wasn't all of that. They kept part back. They said, we're giving it all to Jesus. Peter looked at Ananias and said, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. Just like the Savior knows us inside and out. Now, Satan is not omniscient. He does not know everything. He's not God. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. But Satan knows who he can pick, even within the local church, to stir up strife and trouble. I would hate to get to heaven someday and find out that I was Satan's go-to fella. Satan, we have a testimony before Satan. Are you enough of a threat to Satan that he's going to come after you? Are you enough of a prayer warrior that the devil's afraid of you? Do you live for God boldly enough that, the Satan, that Satan finds you as a threat? We all have a testimony before him. We have a testimony before the saints back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul wrote in verse 2, he said, we give thanks to God always for you all. That's the first time I noticed that he said for you all. Not just for some of the people in the church, but for every single member of the church at Thessalonica. He said, we give thanks uh, to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. The, ch the church members had a testimony with the Apostle Paul. He remembered the way they served Christ, the way they prayed, the way they loved, the way that they gave their faithfulness to the Lord, and it caused him no end of rejoicing. Verse 5, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. And what bolstered the message of the gospel so much? The end of verse 5, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. 
So you saw the way we lived. We had a testimony in front of you and our testimony backed up our message. A testimony is more than some statement that we give at the Thanksgiving service or a testimony time. Our testimony is our character. It is our reputation. Paul said, we came preaching to you the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it came to you in power and in much assurance because you saw it backed up in the lives that we live. Verse 7, I'm sorry, verse 6, ye became followers of us and of the Lord having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. We have a testimony before the saints, before each other. Uh, Grown-ups, adults, would you understand that every child and teenager in this church, they may not hang out with you. We're old. We're different generations and all of that. Uh, they may not consider us their best buddies or whatever, but they know who you are. They watch you. They see how you treat people. They hear how you talk out in the hallway or out in the parking lot. Our, our young people know. Our young people know who cares about them. They know who loves them. They, they know who prays for them. We have a testimony before the saints. By the way, your fellow church member knows whether you care or not. They know whether you're the real deal or not or you're just a lot of noise. We have a testimony before other people. Um, God has placed our church in a unique situation over the last uh, decade and a half or so as you've dealt with a pastor and wife who went through some health issues and went through some seasons of loss. I don't think you understand the testimony that you have all over this area, but literally all over America. I preached at a church I've never been to in North Carolina, Ashburn, North Carolina, uh, this last July. And uh, I'd heard about the church before many times over the years, uh, but I'd never been there before. It was a, it's, a, it's a large church. I think they probably run about 900 in Sunday school, uh, that type of thing. I met the pastor for the first time. I've talked to him on the phone once or twice as we made preparations for me to go down there uh, and so forth. And uh, as I spent time with the pastor and his family at, at lunch on Sunday afternoon, uh, the pastor said, we have heard of the testimony of your church for years. We have heard of the steadfastness of your church family and how they rallied behind you when you got sick, when your wife got sick, when she passed away. You've never met these people. They've never been here. But our testimony goes far beyond these four walls. We have a testimony before the saints. Uh, we have a testimony before sinners. We have a testimony before sinners. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are summoned before the Sanhedrin. They are being threatened and the, the, the Sanhedrin doesn't like the message they're preaching. Verse number 13, the Bible just says this. Now when they, that's that's the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the scribes. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, that's not meant to be necessarily an insult to them. It's just that these men were scholars. 
Peter and John were fishermen by trade. Um, generally in that culture, in that day and age, even if you went over to Israel today, um, the Orthodox Jewish people, they dress a very specific way. And depending on what country that they may hail from, there are certain characteristics in the way they dress that is unique to them. But you can tell who they are and the Orthodox are considered the scholars. In Israel, you cannot have a funeral or a burial without permission from the Orthodox Council. It's very much like the New Testament Council that Peter and John are, are called before. So when it says that they are unlearned and ignorant men, it, it's, it's not quite the put down that we would think that it is. They're just saying these are not men that are schooled the way that we are. They haven't sat under the feet of the rabbis and they are not scholars of the law. Again, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. These unsaved people did not like the message of Peter and John, but they couldn't deny that these men had been with Christ. We have a testimony with the unsaved. That's what was happening on Friday night with Tim uh, uh, texting back and forth for two hours with this young man, uh, this young trainer from the gym. Um, there's an unsaved person that has watched him, that has watched a whole bunch of us as we go in and out of that place. And now he's got questions and now he's seeking some answers and he's gonna reach out to somebody who's had a right testimony before the Lord in front of them. We have these testimonies. They're huge. It doesn't match my alliterated outline of the Savior and Satan and sinners and saints, but we have a testimony within our families. In our families. Read the, read the story of Lot. The Bible tells us in the New Testament he was a just man, meaning he was saved. And the Bible says he had a righteous soul. So inside, he knew right from wrong. Inside, there must have been something of him that, that, that knew that God was the true God and, and, and adhered somehow. Uh, we don't know that Lot necessarily committed any of the sins of Sodom. We don't think that he did at all. The Bible said he was a just man with a righteous soul. But when the angels came in to announce the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they told Lot to get a hold of his family, the Bible says he reached out, he warned, them. He warned his sons and his sons-in-laws uh, uh, about the coming destruction. And the scripture says this, but he seemed unto them as one that mocked. His whole life, all he'd ever cared about was making a buck. Money was all that mattered. He, he pitched his tent towards Sodom, which was one of the richest cities in that realm and that part of the world at the time. And eventually he's living in the city. He, he rises to a position sitting in the gate. He's a public official in Sodom. Popularity and power and fame and money, those were the only things that mattered. And now all of a sudden he's talking about the Lord. And these people that have watched him their entire life said, where'd that come from? Since when does God ever really matter to you? And all of them perished in the flames of Sodom because Lot had lived such a, a terrible testimony in front of his children. 
We need to be careful of our testimony. Let me make a couple statements and I'll be finished this evening about our testimony. We can go back to First, Testimo or First Thessalonians 1. Number one, a good testimony, and that's what we ought to strive for. A good testimony bolsters our witness for Christ. Again, verse 5, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. A good testimony bolsters our witness for Jesus Christ. Everybody here knows that there's someone that I've been working with for four and a half years now that came to church once that I can say with Paul, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart because I want him to be saved. Um, do, you, do you understand? Because that burden is there, tomorrow morning, Lord willing, I'll go in and work with him for an hour and later this week, I'll work for another hour. I, I go in and I'm on guard the whole time that I'm there. I'm on guard about every word that I speak, about everything that I say, about even anything about other people, making sure that it's always uplifting, that it's right, that it's positive, uh, and so forth. Uh, seeking any opportunity whatsoever to bring the Lord into the conversation. And uh, I don't have time to go into it now, but he opened the door for such a conversation himself. He's been reading our website reading down through our statement of faith and had some great questions, wanting to just understand some things. Do, do you realize all I have to do is go in and have an off-color joke? All I have to do is come in and lose my temper and let out a curse word and four and a half years of testimony go down the drain. And should that happen, it could also be a man's salvation. A good testimony bolsters our witness for Christ. Number two, a good testimony brings joy to those who've invested in us. Paul said in verse two, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Paul had great joy in his heart. He he was only in Thessalonica for three weeks when serious persecution broke out. And it was those believers that said, you need to get out of town. It's for your own safety. But in that short amount of time, uh, boy, they, they made a lasting impression on Paul. And as he went back and visited them again in the, in the years to come, as he heard about them, he just said, we, we just give thanks to God always for you all. Someone's invested in you, a mom, a dad, grandparents, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, a youth pastor, a Christian school teacher, a principal. Somebody's invested in you, maybe a friend that discipled you and so forth. When you, when you live for Christ and you go forward and you have this good testimony for Christ, it brings a level of joy to them that few words can describe. 32 or 33 years ago, the Lord allowed us to start the church in Pennsylvania. When our church was about eight months old, it was Father's Day Sunday. And uh, it was our first Father's Day at a church. I think we were running about 30 people at the time. My pastor that I had been saved under, Pastor Nitz, was retired. He was in his 80s at the time, had some health issues. Uh, and he was retired but still lived in the area. So I contacted him and asked him if he would come and preach for our first Father's Day. He was sort of like my spiritual father. 
And, and he was very honest with me. He said, Tom, he said, I would, I would love to. He said, I don't have the physical energy anymore to preach a full sermon, but I would love to come to your church. I'd love to meet your people. And I'd, I'd just love to give a word of greeting if that's all right with you. I said, man, anything you can do. And I promoted it up and pastor and, and, and Mrs. Nitz, his wife's a real little bitty lady. Her name was Mary. They're both in heaven now. Uh, they came down on that Sunday. And uh, as we were waiting before the morning service, uh, Pastor Nitz had stepped into the auditorium, I think to put his Bible down or whatever, and Mrs. Nitz was standing beside me. And I didn't really know her. Um, you know, I, I got saved as a teenager and they were in their 60s and stuff. I knew who she was. I, I remember some great testimonies that she shared on Sunday nights, but I didn't really have like you would call a relationship with her or anything like that. So, so I'm standing there and she just initiated the conversation. She said, Tom, there's something that you need to know. She said, out of all of my husband's preacher boys, and he had dozens of them, said, out of all of his preacher boys, you're his favorite. I think, well, yeah. No, she said, you're his favorite. I said, really? She said, yeah, because you're the, you're the one nobody had any expectations of. You were the bus kid. You were the only bus kid that made it. And my husband, my husband just looks at you and he's, he's watched you and he was so excited about coming here today because you've made him very proud. You've, you've made him feel like his ministry was worth something. I grabbed a hold of it. By the way, I didn't get a big head on that. If anything, it went the other direction. I was greatly humbled by that statement. I had no idea that Pastor Nitz felt that way. But it really felt good to know that I made him feel that way. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's somebody that's invested in you. Live for Christ. Stay faithful. Live right. Talk right. Treat people right. Be a witness for Jesus. Take a stand for Christ. You will bring a measure of joy to them like the Thessalonians brought to the Apostle Paul. We know number three, a good testimony also builds the faith of other believers. Verse seven, so that ye were in samples. That just means an example to all that believe in Macedonia, that's the northern part of the Greek peninsula, and Achaia, that's the south where Athens and Corinth were. He said, you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. I have a number of people in the last 15, 20 years or so that God's brought into my life that uh, I get to call my friends. And uh, this morning, probably I texted about 60 or 70 of them. Uh, many times I will reach out and I will call one or more of them and share a burden or a prayer request or I'll reach out and, and, and ask some, some counsel and so forth of them. And their testimony for Christ encourages me. Uh, most of them are pastors who have pastored much longer than I have. They're older than I am. And so I glean from their wisdom. There's somebody that's following you. And uh, you just need to understand that if you have a, a, the right testimony for Jesus Christ, you build the faith of others. We have a whole new group of seventh graders going into the youth group. I wonder what they're going to find when they get there. Are they going to find a youth group that loves the Lord? A youth group that loves to sing about the Lord and, and loves the Bible? Or are they going to find a bunch of cynics? 
or they're going to find a bunch of kids that know how to get around the rules or a bunch of complainers or gripers. A good testimony builds the faith of others. One last scripture, turn to 2 Samuel 12. The last statement about testimony, and we'll be finished tonight. A good testimony built over a lifetime can be destroyed in a single moment. It can be destroyed in a single moment. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. In chapter 11, David sinned with Bathsheba, the man after God's own heart. It's the first time in all of Scripture that David made any tragic mistake. He's not ever been a perfect person. There hasn't been one, but he's had the, he's had the testimony. He is a man after God's own heart. The Bible says several times about him that he behaved himself wisely in a perfect way, but that's all, that's all gone. He's committed adultery. Bathsheba has had a child by that affair. David tried to cover it up and ended up having her husband killed uh, so that he could marry her and so forth. And chapter 12, Nathan the prophet is sent by God to confront David about his sin. And of course, David wisely and humbly uh, understood that he has sinned. Verse 13, David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That wasn't a flippant statement. Read Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, and you'll see how deeply David had been under conviction for a very long time about that sin. When he says, I have sinned against the Lord, he's blurting it out with all the passion and grief you can imagine. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Aren't you glad for the mercy of God? Aren't you glad for second chances like the Quartet saying, you can start over again. Verse 14, how be it? Because by this deed, thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. I have that verse highlighted in my Bible. If David could mess up a testimony in such a way that the enemies of the Lord had reason to blaspheme, is there any reason why you and I could not? We're all human beings. So, so therefore, if my testimony, a good name is rather to be desired than great riches, should not, should not our testimony be something that we guard? I don't know how many mornings I've left my house and I'm driving down Broad Street headed for my formerly 99-cent cup of coffee that is now $1.38. And all of a sudden I realize I didn't bring my cell phone. And it doesn't matter if I'm a block, two blocks, half a mile away, I'll turn my car around and I'll go back because I need my cell phone. Anybody else do the same thing? I get ready to leave. I always, I, I have everything organized on my, my dresser and so forth. And uh, I've started making sure that I put my cell phone in a specific spot with my car key on top of it so that, because I can't start the car without the key, so I don't forget my phone. Um, we have come to think that these things are the most important things in life. We almost can't function without them. Remember when the phone hung on the wall? And remember, you could only get like 10 feet away, and that was it, because that's all the further the cord went? Um, I'm wondering if kids today could even dial a rotary phone, if they would even know what to do with one of those things. I mean, these are all important to us. Statistically, 
Statistically, the average adult in America checks their cell phone, their laptop, their, their iPad, uh, and they're checking their social media, their email, things like that. They check it 185 times a day. The average adult. Teenagers blow that statistic out of the, the roof. We, we think that this is just so vitally important that if we leave home without it, we'll go back and get it. Or if we already get to work and we don't have our cell phone, we don't know how to function all day long. But, you know, because nobody can get in touch with us and, and we can't door dash or, or we don't know how many people liked what we had for breakfast today. Can I tell you that there's something more important than you leaving home without your cell phone? It's leaving home without your testimony intact. I mean, this is, this is important enough that every one of us, as we get up in the morning before we step out, we had to have a time of prayer with God saying, Lord, help me guard my testimony today. You know, the people in my gas station know that I'm a Christian. They know that I'm a pastor. I don't pay $1.38 for my coffee. Most of the time, you're good. Have a blessed day. People in my gym know I'm a pastor. They know that I'm a Christian. The people that I work closely with know that I'm saved. My neighbors know that I'm saved, and so do yours. You need to make sure that your testimony is more important to you than your phone. Don't leave home without it. By the way, you don't. You don't. If we were to ask your coworkers what they think about your Christianity, what would they tell us? Teenager, if we were to ask your mom and dad, what they think about your testimony. If they were honest, what would they tell us? We all have one, and it's extensive. Let's guard it. Father, thank you for the word of God.